Welcome back to the Kyle Style Podcast, continuing with the Parsing of Madness, Part 5, Cartoon Contest, okay? This is going to be the last segment, uh, I'm done with going over this, this best podcast ever, and we're going to get back to doing our the normal Kyle Style thing. But, Part 5, we this one goes left and right as well, uh, I'm going to include a bunch of links and everything for your uh, further reading and uh, viewing pleasure. Uh, before we get started, super huge fires ra- raging in Canada right now. Uh, the town of uh, Fort McMurray is being evacuated. There's like 80,000 people. There's houses getting burned down. It looks like the whole town's going to get burned down. Why am I telling you that? Well, if you go over to uh, Red Cross Canada, you can donate a little bit of money. You can go to the uh, Edmonton Emergency Relief Services Society. <laughs> it's ears.org. I'll include some links here. Um, throw them some money. They're the ones that are sort of more directly dealing with the uh, response because it's Edmonton's like one of the closest nearby cities, and it's very far in the northeast of uh, Alberta, Canada. Canada are our bros. If there's ever been an ally to America, it's Canada. They 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 need some help right now. So uh, go over there, send a few dollars. You know, pause this. Click on the link, go over there, throw them five dollars, and then then come back, and we'll uh, get get started here with uh, part five. Okay, you're back. So let's uh, dive in, shall we? Part five: Omer versus Harris cartoon contest, best podcast ever. Here we go. So it's it's not again the only way to constrain this, so that we're actually talking about anything coherent is to is to I think come back to specific points and I want to return to the the paragraph you just read because you made another point uh, after claiming that that uh, everything that Majid is saying is obvious and that so many other people are doing it you made the point that uh, something about supposedly thin-skinned Muslims who cannot take a joke now I mean then this is the kind of writing and this is the kind of attitude that I just find just impossible to to square with the facts, and I just it, it seems to betray a kind of identity politics or just a lack of engagement with with the problem. So, what do you mean by supposedly thin skinned? I mean, are you, so are you doubting whether such thin skinned Muslims exist, or that are you are you just saying they're a tiny minority? What are you saying? There are thin skinned people who are going to in 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 Islam and Muslims. We're going and going. They're going to protest if you if you publish a cartoon or if you write a novel that, that they consider offensive to Islam. What I'm saying is that well, number one, we shouldn't coddle them even if they are thin skinned. But number two, recognize that this is not theology that's making them go and run off and do crazy things or to burn effigies or to storm embassies or whatnot. It's politics. Okay, that really doesn't make any sense. Okay, if if anyone remembers, there was the uh, if you recall, there was the uh, innocence of of Muslims video that was online. It was just on a YouTube video made by some I think it was some evangelical Christian guy in like Florida. I don't remember why I remember the state, uh, but it caused riots and backlash all over the world. And I think it was like a precursor to the Benghazi incident, if I if I'm remembering right. Uh, but that video was specifically blaspheming the, the prophet, and it was done on purpose. It was done to be provocative. There are tons of video, other videos on YouTube that are offensive to 
Islam or our videos of uh, supposed Israeli war crimes against uh, Muslims and Palestinians and whatnot, none of those videos seem to cause this uh, backlash, this outrage. So if it's just politics, where was the outrage for every other you know, uh, uh, every other step in the in the path, every other video that's out there showing Western or Israeli or you know NATO war crimes, right? Every Al Jazeera style, you know, like propaganda piece would tr- be triggering these things if it was just political, if they were, they were being motivated to commit violence by by political ideologies. But they aren't. The video that did it was one that specifically attacks Islam. I mean, you can talk about, again, we're going to go back to motives again. It just, you can talk about the motivating principles all day for what is causing these people to commit violence, but to, to reduce it and say that it's just politics, it's just missing, like, it's just missing a huge aspect to it. And I, I imagine that these Muslims who were involved in these specific altercations, they would agree. The, the Muslims that were stoning Farkunda in the video, they would disagree with Omer. They, they are doing it in the defense of Islam. It's not politics. In, the, in, the, in terms of the Rushdie wait, wait, affair... Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so, so, suppo- first of all, you seem to be stepping away from supposedly thin-skinned. I mean, do you, you're, too many Americans about supposedly thin Do you think most Muslims are, th- are thin-skinned and emotional? Most Muslims take... Uh, if you're speaking the world over, I don't, I don't know if it's most as in more than 50%, but it is a shockingly high percentage in any community that's been polled. I mean, so for instance, let me just take Britain, where I know the polling was done. 68% of British Muslims think that the Danish cartoonists should have been imprisoned, right? And and undoubtedly, some percentage of those thought they should have been killed. I mean, the question wasn't asked, but they asked whether they should have been punished, right? Now, 68% think that's the case. So and that's, and that's Britain. So now what is it in Sudan? What is it in Nigeria? What is it in, in Saudi Arabia? And there's another Arabia? poll that says British Muslims are better integrated into British society than even white Britons are. All right. Well, so I, I mean, I, is, is, is no, this no. a red herring? I mean, I ask. No, it's, it it's, it's not a, integrated and it's not a red herring when people show up at your door and kill you for no, the I cartoons. Mean, look, Sam, the Danish cartoons were an inflated political opportunity for a particular brand of Islam well, well, to stoke threats. But, okay, listen, listen. What were when the, the Danish what cartoons were, were published, what, when, what were, when the Danish cartoons what were, were the can, Charlie? No, no, because no, because I'm asking you a question which you're sliding off of. What were the Charlie Hebdo cartoons? Right. This is a problem that is not going away. It is appearing in every society. Can you actually say that you think the Muslim community is no different from any other religious community on this yes. point? Yes. I think there's a minority that's very, very vocal and that will denounce and probably even threaten violence. But I think that, look, the Danish cartoons, when they were initially published, did not cause a stir. Right. Only after certain imams were contacted okay. for comment. I don't know why why journalists are contacting imams for comment on this. You, only then did, did the Saudi diplomats begin parroting this and making a big controversy. Satanic Verses was published in September 1988, and there was no fatwa until 1989. In fact, the first country to ban the Satanic Verses was India. The reason why was because the Congress Party so- wanted to appease the local Muslims there. The local, the local Jamaati Islami, which is an Islamist organization, in order to win votes, and then it inflated after Khomeini, out Pakistan. Okay, the Pakistan but, but has- okay, so it began first. The 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 Salman Rushdie fatwa began, or the the backlash against the Satanic verses began in India. Okay, uh, because they were trying to appease 
local Muslims there, okay? And then it's only, like you said in with the Danish cartoons, it was only when these imams got hold of it, and the, and he blames the Saudis as well, uh, that they fanned the flames and turned it into a big uh, backlash and a big scandal. I, I still don't see how he doesn't see the connection here. It's still linking back down to people following the lead of the imams or they're following the uh the they're at least paying attention more when the imams tell them about it or the imams are using it for their own benefit all of those things are all a detriment to islamic nations and middle eastern societies but how does it inflate if no one has these attitudes? In fact, the Danish cartoons were reprinted by by the Egyptian newspaper Al Fagr and a number of other newspapers throughout uh, throughout the Middle East. The thing is that look, if people have a reason to be offended, if they're seeing this all over the news and all these imams are giving fatwas, right wing Islamist imams, of course, if you give them a reason to be offended in that sense, then yes, they're going to be offended. Most people are going to ignore it. Which, wait, which, wait is, which is what which is what the Charlie Hebdo cartoons happen. It's, it's not Charlie a matter. It, okay, for four I, years. I, I will grant you that most, or at least many, Muslims will ignore it. Right. So I'm not saying that most Muslims will kill you with their own hands if you yeah. cartoon the Prophet. Okay, but a disconcerting number of them will, and a disconcerting number will acquiesce to that, or apologize for it, or tacitly support it, or not condemn it, and a disconcerting number of Liberal apologists, non-Muslims, secularists like Glenn Greenwald will focus on the ostensible racism of the cartoons and not on the fact that the cartoonists were murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I defended the Charlie Hebdo cartoonist. And what I'm saying is that, look, there is this right wing fringe. I think it's a fringe. You think it's central. They're extremists. They're Salafists, okay. Islamists, whatever you want to call but it. it but the, but it's and a, we should isolate them and oppose them rather than saying all these Muslims over here are so emotional that they can't take a joke. This, this is the point that I'm making, that the Danish cartoons, the satanic verses, the Charlie Hebdo cartoons initially did not cause controversy because people ignored them. People are busy. They got shit to do, you know? But once you start calling up the imams no. and making this a big political issue and the Saudi diplomats and the Pakistani diplomats are, are want, want this kind of stuff to be banned, then yes, the the people who are pro Sam, think about this. The people who are protesting in authoritarian countries against these cartoons, these people are not allowed to protest, right? How how did all a hundred thousand protesters or whatever the number was show up into authoritarian squares that are closed off for demonstrations? Okay, again, that might be uh, political opportunism on the part of these governments, but that doesn't negate the fact that it is is re deeply related to the religious aspect. That's how the ball gets rolling. And that those images are repeated on Western media and we see, oh, look at all those Muslims are so emotional, right? This, this was politicized by certain actors with their own interests in mind. And like those are the people, those actors are the ones that I want to isolate and that I want to oppose by supporting the leftists and progressives who are opposing them rather than saying let's paint a blank brush and say it's all Muslims. That's my ideology and that's what I'm trying okay, okay. to do. And no, I don't think no it's helpful. One, no, one, no one has said – I have never said it's all Muslims. In fact, every time I talk about this – I'm careful to differentiate, the again, the concentric circles of commitment to these ideas, right? So, yes, there are many Muslims who don't care about cartoons, but many, many more Muslims are dodging the issue the way I think you're dodging it here, which is How am I dodging it? Please there, tell me how I'm dodging there it. There is an intolerable difference between the status quo in the Muslim world and the Muslim world is not is now our world. It's not just in the Middle East. There's a difference between how Muslims will respond 
at whatever percentage we're talking about to criticism, to jokes, to art they don't like, to novels they don't like and even haven't read but just heard they wouldn't like if they read them, to dissidence, to apostasy, to free speech. And one of the issues here is not just that it's uh, it could be construed as some kind of like criticism of like uh, you know a publication like Charlie Hebdo or something this kind of uh, Islamic extremist censorship practice because it, it also goes back in time it follows it, it goes after antiquity you have like the destruction of the ruins at Palmyra recently uh, by ISIS you have the uh, the Afghani uh, Taliban destroying the giant Buddha statues that were, you know, many hundreds of years old. Uh, you know, they, I think they used artillery on them and blew them up. Why? Because it's a symbol of some other gods, and you can't have that. So never mind any other historical factors or anything. And, and granted, those are two extreme examples, like ISIS and, you know, the Taliban. But they're... Uh, but their goals are quite similar and their practices are quite similar. They might not even be in the same ballpark as far as each other are concerned, but their practices are very similar. Uh, the oppression of women, the destruction of other you know religious sites or historical sites purely for religious reasons, as well as pursuing journalists and, and writers and everybody and you know filmmakers like Theo van Gogh for uh, criticizing Islam. Right? I mean, the, the practices are similar in various parts of the world for completely different reasons and coming from uh, different types of people and different, different uh, sects and everything else. I mean, you know, I could give you the same deal I gave Glenn Greenwald. I mean, we can settle this with a duel of cartoon contests, right? You do a, you do a cartoon contest for Islam and I'll do one for any other religion on earth. Mm. You want to take me up on that? Well, I mean, let, me, let me think about this. At least. Okay, yeah, and then send me a postcard from the Witness Protection Program. Yeah, I mean, look. No, no, the, no, no, the, no, but don't change the subject. This, I'm not changing the, the subject. Status I'm quo, to the status quo here really is intolerable. That you just no, I, no, but it's not simplistic because it would completely fuck up your life. Okay, is Islam the problem here? Yes. It's Islam the problem. It's not the politics and the, the, the political actors. on the No, because there are people with no political grievances, personally none, right? People who are just living their lives, but who – I'll tell you, here, here's a story, right, that I'm, I'm simply one node away from, which, I mean, this is technically hearsay. I mean, I wasn't in the room when this happened, but this is a, a story which I believe to be factual. One of my own doctors, okay – was having lunch with an Indian Muslim doctor in India, right? And mm. brought up the Salman Rushdie affair. And mm. this is now going back decades. To this closer to the this is when Rushdie was in hiding, and he had you know his excruciating security concerns. So he two colleagues talking, right? You know, and you know the doctor I know is an incredibly well esteemed doctor. And presumably his Indian colleague was a real doctor. He certainly said he was. And they brought this up and he asked him what he thought about this. And he said that he would have killed Rushdie with his own hands. Mm. Okay. Now, this is not a t – this may what, be – this may how be did a your friend respond or how did your doctor respond? Is, I mean, just horrified. I mean, a horror that, you know, ends relationships and eclipses all possibility of conversation, right? There's nothing yeah. to say, 
right? I mean, you and I are having a hard enough time having a conversation. But well, I, I would have I, sat there and debated that person. Okay, well, but, because, okay, and then figured what, out why, where, why does he think that? Okay, Point to yeah, me in the Quran yeah, where it he, says you can kill. He told him it, he be, he believed it was a religious obligation. This, the, 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 the man had blasphemed. The penalty for blasphemy is death. Yeah, this is not that's rocket total, science, Omer. Is, that's that's total total bullshit, and he should have sat there. It's and, not and bullshit. Him. Are, are you telling me that 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 you cannot get a the penalty for blasphemy being death out of a reading of the hadith? <clears throat> so, in the hadith and Sirah uh, Bukhari fifty nine three sixty nine, this recounts the murder of Ka bin bin al Ashraf. Jewish poet who wrote verses about Muslims that Muhammad found insulting. He asked his followers, who will rid me of this man? And several volunteered. Al-Ashraf was stabbed to death while fighting for his life. Or, Bukhari 3, 106. The prophet said, do not tell a lie against me, for whoever tells a lie against me intentionally, then he will surely enter the hellfire. I mean, look. So, first of all, many Muslims don't adhere yes, to. Yes, many Muslims the, the, don't ignore and, the. And some do. Okay, look. Totally. Some do. Let, let, let's let's take the fundamentalists and all the people who who protest in in the squares. Okay, and let's take all of their views as given and even as authentic. Um, you still would not be able to reduce their protesting, their their demands, um, their very totalitarian mindset to just a reading of the text, which is what you want to focus on. There are all these other political factors that they stole that are what is by the, their email. What is the political factor of a well-to-do Muslim doctor in India? But I don't know this guy. Being I mean, pre- you're asking no, me to, you're but, giving me but, one view of his No, but these, example, these examples are endless. He, he's a fascist, okay? Maybe that, that, no. that, that's it to me. No, he's, just, to know. No, he's, he's just someone who thinks that the penalty for blasphemy is death for, re- yeah, for rather he, obvious religious reasons. Right, and he's on a political spectrum that's on the far right. I, I mean, these people all the time i've debated with these kinds of people i've had a conversation in my living room with like an extended friend of a friend who was a liberal on many issues and somehow was defending stoning right and i told him to his face that you're a okay. religious fascist right. okay no 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 stop but, but he's no, no, not no, it's perfect it's, it's perfect he's not a religious fascist you just said he's a liberal on so many other issues but he's defending stoning yeah, but, but why is he defending he stoning he defending you couldn't defend it on the contemporary yes, grounds. That but many it's people in do. the books, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, look, he has I mean, a, he look, has I'm a, not, stop, again, I'm, stop. I'm not here as a theologian to defend stop. the Quran. He's, he has a religious reason and only a religious reason to defend what would otherwise obviously be a, a barbaric practice that even his politics repudiate. That yeah. is a fucking science experiment psychologically showing you that it was not his politics. Yeah, it I was mean, his look, religion. religion. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to dis- Dispute the violence in the Quran that people are violent who are religious. You just, in this case, but you this have been case, arguing a background assumption of everything you've said is that it's all politics. And here no, you've it's got not your all friend. politics. Religion, religion. Okay, and I've got another friend who, for him, Islam means everything. I mean, not not only Islam means everything, but for him, Islam means assisting the poor, which he also has textual support for. It's yeah. contradictory. There's schizophre- There's a schizophrenic relationship between the mind and the text, and you have to d- choose what you're going to interpret and how you're going to interpret it. Or just drop all the pretense and just admit that it is a barbaric book from, you know, 1500 years ago that doesn't have any bearing now, it is not a good moral guide, and can be disregarded essentially because it has obviously immoral teachings within it, 
and then we begin anew. Uh, rather than drag, you know, a hist, you know, non-historical, a historical, <sighs> no longer relevant, uh, you know, historical supernatural magic books with us into the future, which is impeding our otherwise moral behavior towards one another. Hmm. There's an idea. This is how, look, whatever, whatever platonic ideal you have about religious Muslims, I, I was a religious Muslim. I have this no is, platonic this, ideal this about is religious Muslims. This is how Muslims actually live their life. They take text, they interpret it, and oftentimes, yes, they're going to agree with positions that they would not necessarily agree with, but for emotional reasons, because I can present to him all the evidence against stoning, and he has nothing to say to me. He'll go silent and he'll run away. For, for those reasons that they end up taking up those positions. Muslims, as they actually live, of course— they selectively pick and they selectively choose and they focus on particular interpretations and particular verses. And I think that but no, my no, broader they, point but is that it, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't remove politics from the discussion. This, okay, so on the one hand, yay, no need for reform, everybody. All the Muslims in the world are just uh, – they're all just reading the Quran and they're all just interpreting it in their own ways. And there, there are no uh, despotic leaders that are leading them astray. Uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is just kind of this fluke that is – maybe he's really charismatic or something. Okay. On the other hand, when you are ingraining political leadership with religious leadership, how can you tell whether something is political or not, right? Uh, if, if the rulers want something, they can tell you it's divinely inspired, and you, if you believe, then you will believe that that is so. This is incredibly dangerous, obviously. And as Omer pointed out, in one of the earlier episodes, uh, that he's more educated than a lot of them, a lot of Muslims in the world, which, if that's true, then how do you trust anybody to interpret a document that could in- could unintentionally or intentionally lead to people finding, thinking that the penalty for leaving the faith is death, right? This is inherently problematic, and it will cause more destruction in the future, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Uh, well, I, I I have never divorced politics entirely from the discussion, except in those except in those cases where it's obviously not the the necessary and sufficient factor. And in this case, you just gave me a perfect one. You've got someone who's got liberal politics, and yet he's still attached to the validity of stoning people to death for what adultery. I mean, so yeah, a, he gives he gives he gives religious examples, and then look. Remember the uh, earlier today I said but, that. But, but, but wait a minute, I don't, earlier, I, I, I don't want to miss this point. Or I okay, no, no, no. I, I, I'm fleshing it out. I'm fleshing it. Out. I promise. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dodge you. And if I do, then bring me back to it. But um, earlier I said that religiously conservative and peaceful people who are peaceful Muslims will interpret and then they will neutralize. So if we continue this conversation along the stoning line, he would say. But Sharia demands that there are four witnesses to the act of adultery. Therefore, no one's going to be stoned, right? So, so of course, he's see, see now you can say, oh, he's still violent. He still believes it, but he's rationalized it to himself where it's not existent anymore. But he can still believe in it and still claim to be a good Muslim because he doesn't want to feel like he's a sinner. This is how people do it. They proceed dialectically through it. So it's not a, enough to just reduce it to, oh, he believes in stoning. He's a liberal. He's a bad person. He's a religious theocrat. Right, like that, That's how he would respond to you, Sam. And so I'm trying, the, like the point I'm trying to make is that it's more complicated than you have it. Again, rationalize away. For, for the good of humanity, please continue to rationalize and think your way out of not believing what your book, which you 
say you believe in, which dictates your self-labeling of being a Muslim, just rationalize that all away for the good of humanity, please. I don't know how you do it, but just do it. Because, I mean, why do you have to consciously somehow realize you need to draw a line somewhere? I mean, you have four witnesses. Okay, you need four witnesses. Okay, that's good. How How is that different than needing five or a hundred or one? It's just crazy. Like, <laughs> And this is adults... Uh, presumably somewhat educated, who uh, have hold themselves up as having some kind of uh, ulterior moral code, moral compass, to the book that, again, they, they get their self-labeling uh, religious title from. It's amazing. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to, like, do that in my day-to-day life, right? No, no, it's not more complicated than I have it. The only reason why he would ever get it into his head that maybe sometimes you want to stone people to death is because it's in his holy book. If it wasn't in there, he wouldn't think it. And he certainly wouldn't get it from his liberal politics. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, if, look, I can see that. He's a religious person. And if it's and said, and if it's said in the book, that you need five witnesses, he would think there needs to be five witnesses. And if it said in the book you don't need any witnesses, well, then he would think that, and it would, he would find it even more tempting to stone people to death. And so this is the point. I don't know. I mean, look. This is the point I always not, make. Will not be tempted okay. to stone. Okay, so this. So they agree this, with it in the abstract, the way many, many okay, people agree with all kinds of ideals If in the we abstract. know anything about our world, there's a significant number of people who agree with it in fact and are moved emotionally and behaviorally to act on these precepts. And ISIS is the perfect example. So let's and, isolate them and combat them. I don't know why we're talking about all these peaceful Muslims and that you because, keep lumping in saying we're at war with Islam. Because it's all on a continuum. And your liberal friend whose only bulwark against stoning his sister to death for adultery or fornication is that he would have to find four witnesses rather than two. That's right? nonsense. No, okay. that's not that's not true. He he would have a moral argument against it if I, if we kept proceeding along these lines okay, dialectically. But, but the and fact, I said, assume okay, that the fact that you have to waste any time at all is the problem. Well, I mean, welcome it, to the reality the of the world. People well, are religious; they yes, live in these no, traditions. But it's only and the reality looking, under Islam at the moment. That's the problem. I mean, I come back to the cartoon contest. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't let you if you were stupid enough to accept my challenge for a cartoon contest duel. I wouldn't no, let I you do it. Wait, Sam, I'm not going to accept it. No, no, I've no. Got to do i'm busy don't, don't kid yourself it takes no time and it wouldn't be a matter of time wasted you'd be wasting your life and you know it and of course it is worth noting that uh you know the south park right like matt stone and trey parker and their studios received threats when they tried to do the uh muhammad and super friends uh episode with uh with allah or with muhammad rather and uh the, they're a very large target so it would make sense to target them. However, a smaller target, uh, you know, uh, who's Omar Aziz, right? Uh, doing a cartoon might not generate as many waves. However, uh, he's more closely linked to the Islamic world, so that might actually be worse somehow because you can you can reach him or it's you know it's, it's friends and family is a more direct connection or he should know better maybe. Um, but as a friendly reminder as well, uh, upcoming May 20th is International Draw Muhammad Day. So get your pens and pencils sharpened for that. Uh, we're 18 days away, at least at the time I'm recording this. So, you know, get ready for International Draw Muhammad Day. But keep in mind that here 
in well, at least in 2015, according to the CNR, CNN article I'm looking at, uh, Molly Norris, who was the original uh, originator of the uh, drama Hamid contest, uh, she's still in hiding, apparently. Uh, even in 2015, still in hiding. Ever since 2010. So think about that. Still kind of on the run, received death threats within the first few days of the um, initial drawings that they did. And, uh, you know, we're still dealing with it five years later. The Islamic world still hasn't grown up. We're post-Charlie Hebdo now to drive the point home. And uh, everybody should participate in Draw Muhammad Day because, uh, I don't know, fuck their feelings. Okay, I here here's what I did do, which is write an article in the New Republic and shared it widely, saying that the Charlie Hebdo cartoons should be reprinted. Didn't get any threats based on that, and if there were, then uh, you know we'll deal with that situation when it arises. I'm not look, I'm not afraid of the assassin. No, nor will I be silenced because of what a fascist thinks. I'm sorry, and I'm not Glenn Greenwald either. But the point I'm trying to make to you is that there's this extremist right wing fringe that I'm trying, and I think you're trying. To isolate that has very far right wing politics, and that you, you so there it is with the the politics again, and and comparing and saying that they're far right groups, like ISIS is a far right group, and I, like I think that's something that Sam Harris is trying to explain, uh, communicate to him, which is that it it's not exactly on the left right paradigm that these you know Islamists are operating on. They're th- I don't know if they're proposing some kind of, you know, to split hairs a little bit. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if they're proposing some kind of uh, system of government where, you know, uh, government and industry are fused together, which is basically what fascism is. Uh, they're authoritarians, they're violent, um, they are theocrats, but fascism and being right-wing, being, I guess, conservative, but that's it's a different kind of... It's sort of different. I don't, know, I don't know if it actually applies to the left-right paradigm, the way that he's sort of trying to constantly move, like force it in there. Asking this person, asking any Muslim who's believing to, to stop believing in their text is to cut their religious legs okay, from, out, from but, under but them. As, it's not going to happen. As you'll notice, yes, as you'll notice, that is not the line I took in my book with Majid. I, I spent absolutely no time trying to win the debate in favor of atheism against Majid. I was not trying to... There's not a line in that book where I am trying to get Majid to admit that believing in Islam or believing that the Quran is is the word of God is something that that he has to give up or that 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 is the only way forward. He persuaded me. Uh, In fact, I was persuaded before we even sat down. I mean, the, the reason why I collaborated with him on the book is that I was persuaded that another conversation had to happen. We have to find some way forward for secularism and liberalism within the Muslim world, and that is not that cannot be synonymous with atheism. I mean, I'm I, 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 support for the last the Muslim Muslim left. Look, if you if you take a, I'm not sure if you've ever, if you've ever seen pictures of Afghanistan or Pakistan, yes, or I even have. Egypt in the 60s and 70s. It's very yes. liberal, right? You see women with their you know bearing arms. You see the sexes intermingling. You see a liberal society. Yes. Now, what happens after that, and how do we get back to that? is to support the Muslim left and the Muslim progressive okay. opposition. But, but the wait, 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 just, just one quick point, Sam, just one quick point. 
in the 70s, going back to this historical period, the group that's empowered is the far right of the Muslim world. And you see this. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower had Saeed Ramadan, the found, one of the founders of the Muslim Brotherhood, in his office in the White House. You know, the Israelis assisted in the formation of Hamas as a counterweight to the PLO as a secular, as a secular group. Look, this is, we, we are complicit partly in this. And to get back to a political, leftism and progressivism and an openness, it requires having democracy and stability and not bombs there, right? Like, to get to that point. It was there before. It was there in the 50s and 60s. You had liberal open societies, right? Now we have conservative and very closed ones, closed-minded ones in many cases, where the right is, is on the upsurge. And it's possible to get there, but that's a political conversation that we need to be having. Well, um, I kind of agree with Omer here. I mean, the uh, instituting of the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran, the fall of the Shah, with the, a lot, all of that was caused by, you know, I guess CIA, I guess, if you're going to name an alphabet agency. Uh, but the U.S. is partly responsible for that, and that then drove a political and cultural shift in Iran to what we see today. And, I mean, it's possible that this is, is the case in other countries as well. But at the same time, he he also makes the point that, we need to have some peace and stability in the region in order for anybody there to even have the spare time to pursue, uh, I don't know, uh, higher social and political ideals, um, economic stability, etc., etc., does facilitate that, as well as not having, you know, warplanes in the sky all the time, right? And this is like a, almost a tautology. It just we need peace for there to be peace and advancement, right? Uh, I don't know. That's up to the next generation to try and tone down the violence and to try to uh, on all sides to kind of tone down the violence and forgive. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you get from where we are now to something more peaceful, but. I guess we're going to have to give it a shot. Otherwise, it's just going to continue on like this forever, right? Well, listen, I mean, there, there's nothing in what I've said or, or written, and and in fact, to the contrary, I've often written and said this, that, that we have to support liberal voices in the Muslim world. But the main obstacle to that support is the apologetics for the illiberalism in the Muslim world, both from Muslims and non-Muslims who are just either deluded by political correctness or false charges of racism and bigotry or bullied into it, uh, who think that you can't criticize the illiberalism of Muslims. And, and when that illiberalism comes directly out of the texts, we should honestly be able to say that there's a connection between what people hold as their sincere religious beliefs and their, what you're calling their political attitudes. If you want to join politics and religion at the hip and always mention them in the same sentence, fine. But there's still the religious origin of specific ideas around blasphemy, apostasy, the status of women, the expectation mm -hmm. of paradise after death. You interpret them to be meaningless or to be, or to be liberal. So it is, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning here as well that, say, in the United States at least, we have a multitude of different religions. There are sub-factions of all the different religions. You have new religions that are purely American, like uh, Mormonism and uh, Scientology, for example. And aside from getting a little, uh, a little uh, scary from time to time, like Scientologists, they are 
they coexist for the most part. Uh, you occasionally get these radical branches, like maybe Branch Davidians. Uh, but aside from a few radicalized Muslim uh, attacks that, you know, like San Bernardino and whatnot that we've had, uh, our religious institutions coexist with our governmental institutions and for the most part coexist with other social factors like uh, schools and uh, social uh, structures, schools, etc. There's some friction here and there every once in a while, uh, you know, uh, intelligent design debate and abstinence-only education and all that stuff, and a lot of that is purely uh, Christian, often evangelical, uh, belief-related. But we don't have immense levels of violent sectarianism that destroy our infrastructure and disrupt the lives of everybody around us. Now, is that a matter of just demographics? There aren't enough Muslims, or there aren't uh, the, the, maybe the Protestants don't outnumber the Catholics too immensely, so there's never any direct violence? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I mean, but what we have in most of the Western nations, uh, and I guess even in East Asian countries, I mean, Japan seems to be pretty orderly, orderly. they don't have these problems, uh, there's some factor there that is causing people to jettison the more violent aspects of their religions, and it's pretty great. <laughs> Everybody should, should try this. Look, a, a holy book is more like and I think you'll agree with me, it's more like a novel than it is like a nonfiction book. And not only in the sense that it's fictional because it's true to the to the people who read it, but in the sense that it's contradictory and that you can take whatever messages you want from it, no, depending well, on your depending well, on your ideology. Unfortunately for not. I'm okay, so how do you how do you square there's no compulsion in religion to go and kill people? Depending if I read that, I'm gonna be focusing on no compulsion in religion. But if you take me from Toronto, Canada, and you drop me into Raqqa, Syria, or into Damascus, or into the northwest frontier province, I might have a different opinion on that matter, right? Because I'm not educated and because there are drones flying above or because I've been radicalized by some organization, right? So, I mean, fundamentally, and this is to my broader point as well, I can see, of course, religious beliefs matter. They have a very important influence on consequences. What I'm also saying is that surrounding and underlying political and social circumstances also matter, which is which help explain why terrorism and Islamic terrorism, Muslim terrorism today is such a, such a grave problem in a way that it wasn't before. Okay, okay. but the, the, again, the, the specific ideas matter. The specific doctrines matter. Specifics of theology matter. And the problem we're dealing with, and so yes, you, you can talk about politics and you can talk about history, and there are valid and useful conversations to have on both of those topics. But the problem we're dealing with is that now, not a thousand years ago, but this, this in fact was also true a thousand years ago. The problem is there, is a dis there are differences among religions and among theologies and among holy books that are inconvenient. And it, it is hard to justify holy war by recourse to the New Testament and the life of Jesus. Because it's not impossible, obviously, but it's hard. Okay. And you have to give a fairly tortured reading of the text. And it is easy to divorce— Didn't Jesus say he came to bring not peace but yes. the sword? Yes. There, there, there are a few lines there where you can get a militant Jesus. But in terms of his example, the guy, the hippie who got crucified, and in terms of the rest of what he said, the prevailing message is not one of how to be a warlord to spread the one true faith to the ends of the earth, right? And it is easy, given the texts— 
to divorce Christianity from politics by recourse to the New Testament. It's not, it's not necessary, but it is easy. And that is a good thing. Now, the situation is... I mean, as a Jehovah's Witness, I think they would probably disagree with you. No, I'm not... Of course, there are are extremists within the Christian tradition that that emphasize the other side of things. That's why I'm saying it's not necessary. And I'm saying it's not impossible to to be a violent Christian. What do you think prevents a Jehovah's Witness who, by the way, if you overlap their views with ISIS, it would actually... There'd be a lot of overlap. But what what prevents... They don't have a doctrine of... They don't have a doctrine... they don't they have God's a, kingdom, kingdom they, on earth was established in 1914, and that they they need to lead a religious war of good against evil against yeah, Satan. But no, but they don't. But they they're still waiting for the second coming of Christ. They're, they don't. They don't have a doctrine of jihad. They don't have a doctrine of holy war. And although the Jehovah's Witnesses might be sort of wait, awaiting the day of the return of Jesus and to do a you know holy war, ironically in Nazi Germany. Uh, 10,000 or so uh, not, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses were persecuted by the Nazis uh, for per- refusing to perform military service. So in some sense, they're pacifist as far as uh, nationalist governments and everything are concerned. So, yeah, I don't think you need to worry about the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you know, starting some ISIS shit. The crazy Christians... And I've written more about crazy Christians than most people you're ever going to talk to. As crazy as they are, I mean, there are circumstances in which their beliefs are even scarier than the beliefs of ISIS, right? Uh, There are sects such as the Dominionists who intentionally move to Israel and go to Israel and, and attempt to aid Israeli settlers in kicking Palestinians off of their land in order to satisfy prophecy and and usher in the return of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and begin the judgment day and all that. They're hoping to be part of prophecy and make it happen. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of spooky and creepy. What what links would you go to if you think you're fulfilling prophecy, right? Right. I mean, you have to to, to turn all the dials a fair amount to get a situation and it may be a far-fetched Yeah, I mean, look, one, if, you put, but, if you put Jehovah's Witnesses in the middle of Iraq, I can almost guarantee you that their conception of violence would be very different than it is right well, now. They no, live in well, a peaceful no. Society. Well, no, 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 but that's okay, – look at the Palestinian Christians, right? How many Palestinian Christian suicide bombers can you name? Right? No, I mean, they're in the but, same but they, they situation. Do exist. The PFLP, the Marxist okay. organization. Well, there have been a, a in couple. In fact, the founders of the PLO, many of them were Christians. Okay, it was that, a secular organization up to a point. I'm not saying the only way to be a suicide bomber is to be a jihadist, but I'm just saying that there are differences in how these religious communities behave, even in the same context. I mean, there are Christians in there used to be Christians in all of these countries, but there are Christians in many of these countries who have suffered some of the same intolerable political conditions, in many cases worse because they've been victimized by their own Muslim neighbors. I mean, you look at the cops in Egypt or you look at Pakistani Christians. They are not resorting to suicide bombing. And there's a reason for it. I think one only needs to take into account like the Jews during the Holocaust, right? Go back to Nazi Germany. I mean, if anybody was going to have a justifiable reason to fight for their survival, engage in suicide bombing, it would have been the rapidly diminishing number of Jews in Nazi Germany, right? Now, just, what about the other side? I'm sure wait, you get this counter argument all the time. Okay, just let this point land, okay? okay. It, that, this is practically a, a science experiment. You have Christians in the same context, arguably worse, because they have to worry about their Muslim neighbors, and they are not becoming suicide bombers. And, and, and again, I'm telling you that there are theological differences that explain this. 
And the situation is reversed in Islam. Okay, the, it, it, the problem is, that we have to deal with is that it is easy to justify holy war by recourse to the Quran and, and the life of Muhammad. It's trivially easy. It's easy to justify the actions of ISIS even, down to the sex slaves. And it is hard, genuinely hard, to argue that they are doing everything wrong. Now, we have to find some no, way no, to argue. No, right. no, right. it, it is, I so said you, everything wrong. it's hard? It's, it's, it's it hard is, to interpret that? It is hard to say so that okay. ISIS is getting everything wrong So the 20,000 Islamic scholars who know more about Islam than you and I and then more, more no. than ISIS, the ones who condemn terrorism, are they, are they wrong? Are they, they just doing this for politically correct reasons? Well, no. They, or do you think no. they have... I mean, it's quite possible that they are in, in an attempt to, like, I don't know, politically kind of gain favor with the West or sort of, you know, try to distance themselves from the savage maniacs known as ISIS. But apparently those 20,000 scholars aren't enough to deter the committed ISIS fanatics who have now caused acts of violence all over the world. I mean, the, the, it loses out. They might have the uh, scriptural authority on their side, these uh, scholars, but it isn't enough to counteract whatever practice they, the ISIS followers have. I support, again, this, this is Maja's point. We have to find rival interpretations of the text that delegitimize and contextualize and repudiate ISIS, ISIS and terrorism, right? Yeah, absolutely. But Historically and today. We can't lie. One, we can't lie to ourselves that that is a straightforwardly easy thing to do because the sex slaves are right in there in the books, right? You can't when, – when they say, listen, we have a theological justification for taking sex slaves and, yeah. we, and we treat them the way we do because we're reading it as a yeah. recipe book, mm -hmm. right? So some of this uh, ISIS uh, sex slave like doctrine, if you could call it that, comes from a, a pamphlet that they uh, distributed that was uh, – it con contains a sort of questions and answers based on uh, there's questions posed by the person reading it and then the answers that they're providing, right? Uh, they describe things like uh, an al-sabi. And an al-sabi is a woman who, uh, from among the people that they are fighting, uh, who have been captured by, by ISIS, by Muslims. Uh, what makes it permissible is that she is by definition separate and is a non-believer. So once you take possession of her, you kind of are a free reign with her. And it is permissible to have sexual intercourse with a female captive because in their interpretation, Allah said in Quran 23, 5-6, Successful are the believers who guard their chastity, except from their wives or the captives and slaves that their right hands possess, for then they are free from blame. And the specific instance here is the Yazidis, which uh, you know, like apparently thousands of Yazidi women were captured by ISIS, uh, older and younger women separated, and they were concentrated in, um, you know, in Mosul in a large house and men would just come by and you know kind of purchase two three four multiple young younger women and then take them home with them so that's scripturally based it's in the quran and they're using it they and look and then, and then how you respond to that 
to someone who says that is that there is a principle in, in Islamic jurisprudence and in Islam as lived for 1400 years of consensus and slavery was banned thousands of years, hundreds of years ago. It's not practiced anymore. There have been fatwas given about this over and over again. I'm sorry, but you cannot just, you cannot, you cannot uh, cherry pick a verse and interpret it however you want today and say that we have a holy war. The Quran says so. Therefore, let's go and take as many sex slaves as we want. There are all these principles that they completely negate. They're Puritans. They completely negate principles of consensus, of jurisprudential interpretation that the majority of scholars and the majority of Muslims adhere to. So, I mean, look, this is an extremist organization. <laughs> All right. So here, here it is again. So we got a no true Scotsman happening, of course. And at the same time, he, he uses this he uses this term jurisprudence and jurisprudential. Uh, it just boggles the mind, okay? Like, you're talking about a sort of codified set of rules and these doctrines on top of doctrines, the way we would do with, again, the, uh, the you know, the U.S. Constitution, right? You have these rules, and then everything has to kind of fall between the rules, and you have to have reasoning to back it up, and then people who are well-versed in these things kind of debate back and forth, and they determine intent and all this other stuff. But the Constitution was written by people. We we can you can go to the homes where they lived. You can read their letters, their papers. I mean, we 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 took all of their personal effects and turned them into museums and into books and things. Right? You can you can understand their direct reasoning. Okay, and they, aside from a few you know uh, 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 endowed by our Creator type lines, they uh, people like Jefferson committed to uh, a separation of church and state. So it gives us a secular uh, representative republic, right? Uh, but to say jurisprudential or jurisprudence in terms of the the sayings and teachings of Muhammad at various times in his life and various circumstances and then to spend the next 1,400 years and on into the future from now, uh, you know, wiggling and writhing and back backbending through whatever loopholes you think you can find, it just is madness. It's just, it's like the most insane, childish thing, and yet people are committed heavily to this. You have people who are scholars in this, and they intend to teach and preach their angle on it. It's just like it just boggles the mind. Their political extremism, okay, but again, their political it's, it's, fascism, is as important as as their interpret. I mean, this this is the mindset that they approach the text with. If there were no violent verses in the Quran, and there, do you think Abu Bakr al Baghdadi and ISIS would not exist? No, they would have another reasoning. They would have no, other reasoning uh, for their yes, views. That that or is it, that is the that is the fallacy that I think we have to suppose that there was one violent verse exercise, in the Quran, and it was vague. What do you think then? The argument you're going for here, which I hear over and over again, which is belied by an endless number of examples that I can draw for you, is that bad people will do always do bad things and they'll find some justification for doing bad things. Bad, all will these, do good all things these bad things. Religion. Yes. No, well, the, the, that's a, the, a Steven Weinberg quote. No, I'm not going there. I'm just saying that bad people, everyone believes, or many people following this line believe that. Bad people will do bad things anyway. All the people who are in ISIS now taking sex slaves and crucifying people, 
they are psychopaths who would act would have acted out anyway. ISIS is acting like a bug light for the world's psychopaths. There is absolutely no evidence of that and abundant evidence of the falsity of that claim. There are people who wouldn't have harmed anyone who would be based on re- specific religious ideas which they believe to be true because they read the scripture as a nonfiction book, not like a novel. They are committing That's themselves. That's difficult because the Quran refer, uh, refers to Allah in the we. So if you read it literally like a nonfiction book, is God a polytheist? Okay. Is Islam a polytheistic religion? Of course not. And here we go again. We have Omer the Reformer. Uh, by his interpretation, his sources and what they say is that that's what it says. According to somebody else, that wouldn't even be an issue due to I don't know, translation or however you want to parse it. But like in his interpretation, this is what it means. I, I wish ISIS followed Omer's version of Islam. It's it's inherently contradictory. If you no. have one verse saying that you can, if you kill one person, it's like you've killed all of humanity, and another verse side by side extolling yes. the virtues there, of, of jihad. There right? are spe- so. there are specific verses that you can cherry pick, which you can use to say there's something far more tolerant here than what ISIS is up to, and we have to hold to that tenaciously until the end of the world. Yes, great, and that's and that, I'm glad that Muslims have those resources. They don't have nearly the resources they need. Or, or that I wish they had. They don't have nearly the resources that Christians have because the Bible is an enormous book that is massively self-contradictory and that it does not have any any kind of unified message that's analogous to what you get with a, a Salafi reading of, of the text. Yeah, Salafi reading. The the issue here, and now I think we we have to get to the into the end zone here without dealing with really the the meat of your review. And I'm sorry for that. We just got bogged down on so many other points, and now we've crossed the three hour mark. But the issue is that all of the background assumptions, all of the commitments to having this talked about in a certain way and pushing back against specific points and deliberately or virtually deliberately misunderstanding others that has conspired to make our conversation the way it is and has conspired to make you think Majid and I are up to something sinister and selfish and totally unproductive. And yet when we get into the details, you seem to basically be checking all the boxes Majid is checking in terms of the way forward for reform. This is part of the problem. The, the problem. I mean, my solutions are different. Okay, look, you well, keep but, going and then I'll uh, respond. Okay, okay, but the problem, and the reason why I wanted to have the conversation is the problem isn't just ISIS. The problem is that it is so difficult for you and I. I mean, you're getting your JD at Yale, right? And you're not even a religious or very religious Muslim. And you and I get so bogged down on this conversation. Right. And your colleague, you're one step away from, you know, someone who, who you, you have to argue with about the ethical validity of stoning people to death. And you're and you're I mean, not colleague. It was someone I had a conversation. Okay. All right. With. So someone, someone please, please don't demean, demean me or denigrate me. In no, such I'm, a way. I'm not. De- wow. I mean, OK, so Omer brought up the example of his friend who believed that it was OK to stone women and such. And now that Sam is using it to point out how people in his own circles can believe these things, he's taking offense. It's like, ugh, this is crazy. I'm not demeaning you. I'm, I'm talking about the reality of our yeah. world. And I right? also explained to you how he would, how that conversation would have flowed and how okay. precisely he would have neutralized, excuse me, would have neutralized that conversation. And that's exactly how it happens in cafes all around the Muslim world. Okay. It might be a bit reductionist of me to say, but why bother? 
Like, why bother with all of it? Why bother with all the jurisprudence and all the, you know, rationalizations and comparing it to your own innate morality and explaining it away? Why not just chuck it out? I guess I just don't understand faith. Right, until it, until it doesn't get neutralized. But the point I'm making yeah, is by, that... Yeah, by, by a selective group of people. You have in your immediate circle... So so this conversation was as hard as it was with you. Then you have in your immediate circle someone like Murtaza Hussein, who you defended to whatever degree you did in, in this conversation. Journalist for The Intercept, your okay. listeners should know. Yes, and I... He's funded by Piero Midyar, the founder of eBay. And he's... I get that he wants to uh, reinforce the validity and uh, genuineness of the publication, The Intercept, by pointing out who funds it. But I really couldn't care less because there are highly funded news organizations that are terrible. Right? Give me a break. As starkly unethical a person as I've met in my collisions with so-called journalists, he is someone who I could not possibly contemplate attempting this conversation with. Right mm. now, I don't know how much worse it would have gone with him, but given what he's done on the page and given the, the kinds of noises he's made on, on social media around this, the possibility of dialogue between me and him, a profitable dialogue, or, or, or between Majid and him, in terms of a dialogue that's actually going to go somewhere worth going, it just seems absolutely impossible. This is the problem that I'm trying to deal yeah. with. Because this is not the problem of ISIS. I mean, I'm talking about the problem of people like you and Murtaza and your other friends, the divide oh, between Sam, you guys excuse me. and – Sam, and, excuse me. By other friends, who, who are you referring to? Who, uh, whoever, are, you referring to my, whoever, are you referring to my Muslim friend who, who returned from four duties on, in Afghanistan? Is that who you're referring to? Who, Take this conversation what, up with him. He what, would tell you to go screw yourself because you're condemning all of his co-religionists. I'm not – wait a minute. Well, would your friend who did four tours in Afghanistan be as defensive and dodgy and intentionally kind of uh, uh, taking snippets and cherry-picking their opponent's views? I mean, that would lead to the same kind of conversation, or he might be a more open person and it might have a little more, uh, a little more uh, result, a little more po net positive there. I'm not condemning his co-religionists. Sam, have, the, the rhetoric I, that you've, you, you have used has consistently right. been blanketed. No, no. Right? You, I, can, I don't want to call you your words again because it's honestly it's boring. You, you, but, you, you, no, no. But in this conference so right now you, where you're, you're taking offense where no offense is intended or even given here. No, I'm, I'm not taking offense to you. I'm correcting you. I'm talking to you about your, the milieu in which you are saying someone like Majid has no standing and, and how, how his efforts are at reform – are meaningless and that he's not even – he's not an honest interlocutor and you're treating him that way. You're treating me that way in this conversation and yet when you look at specifics, basically you're, you're both talking about the necessity of energizing liberal voices in the Muslim world, finding ways to contextualize and marginalize Salafi-style readings of the text. You want to emphasize secularism. You want to em em emphasize pluralism and you want to find a way to energize – all of the kinds of 21st century cosmopolitan values we agree on and which make a life like yours possible and a life like mine possible, that we have that common project and yet this very conversation was pure poison. I mean, with, with, with I mean a, look, with, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Can I respond? Look, we've had a debate about important issues that we need to flesh out our differences on because, look, you have your critics and I'm sure after this conversation I'm going to have plenty of critics that I'm going to hear from them. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that part. Uh, yeah, I guess guilty. Um, I don't know. Uh, somebody tweet this to Omer 
uh, Aziz on Twitter. <laughs> and that's entirely fine. But look, this is a grand project, Sam. We're talking about reforming or changing a religion and how to do that. And my fundamental contention was that the solutions that you propose, number one, would be counterproductive and just aren't going to happen. Like You're not going to be able to excise the verses. It's a non-starter right away. Uh, you're I, wasting your breath I, if that's I, what you I, think. Oh, well, first of all, I didn't... The, I'll go, go, to, go to one point you raised later on in your in your piece, which is kind of a strange one. You talk about how much ag- agreement there was between Majid and I in the yeah. end as a, f- a major failing. Like, like if yeah. he, if, 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 there's not going to be more debate here. This is a totally wasted effort. The reason why there was so much agreement is because Majid convinced me on many points. I mean, it was a virtue of the conversation. That is, that is when a conversation is working. I mean, Majid and I started out so far apart when we when we first met. I had no idea how the conversation was going to go. I, I could have could well have gone very much like the one you and I just had, right? Mm. Where there would have been no book and there would have been no friendship. There would have been no basis for future collaboration. It just would have been bad vibes and misunderstandings. It and would have been a great debate to, to read, actually. I think it would be a much better book no, from that perspective. The, the virtue – The my beef no, but, with Manji but, is that he didn't challenge you on your right-wing views. And I think that he I could don't, have done that honestly. I, I don't – first of all, I don't have right-wing Ben Carson, views. Ted Cruz, you want to go there as well? All right, I may have said this before, but he's talking to Sam Harris, who has openly said he's used psychedelic drugs, that he's into meditation, that he's into Buddhism. I don't know how you get some kind of right-wing ideologue out of him unless you're really digging and looking for it. There you have another example of me being maliciously quoted out of context oh in such God. a way as— I quoted at- you entirely. Okay, yeah, well, sure. Uh- you called them religious imbeciles and religious maniacs, and you supported the, the prefer, preferencing let Christian me, refugees let, over let, Muslims. Let me just ask you, do you think I support Ben Carson for the presidency of the United States? I think you support one of his views, and then maybe some of your listeners what, will now what, vote for him. What, what, what Beliefs view, have consequences, right? What, what view of Carson's do I support? You support uh, the view that he um, – which one was it? There was – oh, right, that – you would vote for him over Noam Chomsky for president. And to me, that's honestly, Sam, I think that that is, I mean, either you're, what, you're just what, trying. What you're point trying was I to, making? What point was I making there? On it comes to, when it comes to the question of uh, dealing with this ISIS and, and Islamism, that was the extremism, violent extremism. That's the point that you made, that you would support. Ben, ben Carson couldn't name a single ally of the United States in the Middle East. So, you, here, here's the listen. exact quote. Given a choice between Noam Chomsky and Ben Carson in terms of the totality of their understanding of what's happening in the world, I'd vote for Ben Carson okay. every time. He's a del- dangerously deluded re- religious imbecile and it's a scandal that he's a candidate for president. So you'd vote on this issue at least for a dangerous, dangerously the, deluded religious the imbecile. Issue, the issue now why being, is that? I mean, the only point I was making there and it's absolutely obvious in context is that Noam Chomsky and the far left are so clueless about the problem of jihadism globally and the erosion of free speech as a result of the, the larger problem of Islamism that, yes, and I worry more and more. This comes back to the problem of the rise of fascism. I worry more and more that if the left doesn't start making credible, sensible noises on the problem of jihadism, more and more people, if given a choice, and we're not we're not at that point now, but if in Europe they they may very well soon be, if given a choice between a genuinely scary right wing person and a delusional liberal, you know, someone like Jeremy Corbyn, 
they will they will feel no choice but to choose the right wing when they don't align with the right wing on any no other variable. Chomsky. Okay, so I, I just want to point out that uh, I think what the first episode of the Kyle Style podcast, the Syrian crisis, uh, touched on this based on things that I had re- read on uh, foreign language uh, European websites and everything um, in the comments section on the news stories. Let's point that out. As well as uh, the after the Cologne attacks, okay, I called that episode Cologne and the Rising Right, okay, because the leftist censorship machine was in full swing and was attempting to stifle the story getting out. It eventually did get out. It caused irreparable damage to the uh, politicians' credibility with the people. Uh, the policies that they had enacted, it turned people in more suspiciously towards the migrants that they had welcomed with open arms just you know weeks and months previously. Uh, it, it did irreparable damage to all the other possibly you know progressive ideals that these governments had attempted to enact. And the result is drastically turning people into single issue voters. Okay, And the same thing is happening here in the wake of San Bernardino, in the wake of the Paris attacks, and then you know maybe somewhat in the shadow of uh, the Charlie Hebdo attacks. The West, Americans at the very least, see that there is a very frightening issue with Islamic terrorism. Now, if you're Chomsky, you attribute it to one cause. If you're Sam Harris or Douglas Murray, you attribute it to another one. Or Hitch, if he was here... I, I shouldn't call him Hitch. I don't. I don't. I didn't fucking know him. Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens. He would have said, you know, that this is the cause, and been more in alignment with Sam Harris. But if you are a parent of maybe a young woman and you live in Germany, what are you going to be concerned about in the wake of Cologne? Now, granted, statistically, maybe they're going to be sexually assaulted by another white German man, right? But not hundreds of women attacked all on the same night by hordes of of people who you thought were asylum seekers or people who you granted asylum to a generation ago who are obviously you know not from germany okay they are not of german descent okay this creates an intense clash and it it resurrects racism but the only the issue here is the immigration policies as they were enacted and the lack of addressing it by Merkel's government, by other governments in Europe, is driving people to the right. And they might be willing to abandon various other ideals that they hold because this is a very prevalent and prominent and, and very intimidating threat. It's suicide bombs and the Taharushkamiya and these very frightening things. And if... Sharia law is enacted via the democratic process and is then used to supplant the democratic process, then what's the biggest threat here? It's not the, the maybe the right-wingers who do in some sense believe in, in democracy, but they just uh, want to, you know, remove regulations on, you know, uh, pollution, environmental controls, etc., uh, etc., you can see past those things if you see that there's a threat to the fundamental practice of democracy itself. And this process is frightening. 
It's frightening to people who otherwise consider themselves liberals, like myself, like Sam Harris, and I've found that I don't identify with anything anymore. Just because of this one, this one key issue has sort of blown the whole spectrum apart, and now nothing makes sense. And the 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 threat is just looming, right? And in light of that threat, okay, um, I went so I went back and I found this uh, the episode of the Sam Harris Waking Up podcast. It was called the. Uh, on the maintenance of civilization with uh, Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray is a British journalist uh, who's he's pretty brilliant. He's been in a lot of like online debates and stuff. I maybe will post some uh, post some videos here. But uh, his interview with uh, Sam Harris's interview with Douglas Murray. Um, he had, he. This is where he quote is quoted out of context, essentially, by Omer. And I decided to get the actual dig in, find the actual sample of or the actual selection from that, uh, because I realized it's a podcast within a podcast within a podcast. Wow! So here it is: uh, the, the selection where uh, Sam Harris allegedly uh, endorses Ben Carson for president of the United States. And disempowering the left has been. And I, so I, I really worry that if we continue to see attacks of the sort we saw on Friday, or if we had an event in, in the U.S. that was uh, larger than September 11th, which is absolutely plausible. In fact, I, from mm. my point of view, it would be a miracle if we avoid such a thing perpetually. Um, mm. you know, what does our political landscape look like after that? And I, I just well, I feel that I mean, given a choice between Noam Chomsky and Ben Carson, right? In terms of in terms of a, a, a the totality of their understanding of what's happening now in the world, I would vote for Ben Carson every time, right? Now Ben sure. Car- Ben Carson, I think, is a dangerously deluded religious imbecile, right? I mean, Ben, ben mm-hmm. Carson does not. The fact that he is even a candidate for the presidency of the United States is a scandal. But at the at the very least, I think he could be counted on to sort of get this right, uh, which is to sure. say he, he, he understands that jihadists are the enemies. And yet, you know, we have the, the masochism on the left that is so totally disempowering in the face of this and is just eager to destroy the reputation of anyone who will worry out loud about the dynamics of this problem, as you just did on the topic of migration. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm worried that the, the rise of the far right is now going to be another major story of our time. And I, I mean, it'll, I, it, it'll be the only answer, Sam. Uh, uh, it'll be the only answer in the end. And it'll be that, that because of the left. So there you have it. Basically, uh, both Douglas Murray and Sam Harris in that episode. And, you know, uh, being quoted out of context, obviously it's, they're just worrying about the rise of authoritarians, the rise of fascists. And again, liberals and leftists are handing politics to the right on a silver platter because they refuse to violate their their religion of uh, multiculturalism 
and call a spade a spade and say, yes, we are concerned about jihadism. Yes, we are concerned about radical Islamism. Yes, we are concerned about some of the even less radical Islamic practices, uh, Sharia and, uh, you know, burqas and hijabs. We, We should be worried about these things because they are the antithesis of Western progress, right? It's not even racist. It's not even bigoted. It just is a reality. And even the thing is, that's interesting is that there are Muslims who know this. They know that their views are radically different from ours. So they're being honest. Why can't we be honest? For all the disagreements that you have is not a delusional liberal. He is, in fact, the, not okay. only the most quoted scholar, but he is he, he, he's someone who please. understands. He's someone who's under. OK, fine. You disagree with him politically, but please don't give me this garbage about how he would just let ISIS free, give uh, free reign. He's a, a skeptic and an atheist, perhaps an agnostic. It's not, it's B, not a matter B, of giving them free reign. It's a matter B, of not he recognizing said himself the, that the local forces. He said himself local forces need yes. to defeat ISIS. Okay, but that's another. Okay? He's but, not a pacifist. Like, it's let's a, be honest. It's with another. It's another way of saying, but he, he blames the United States for basically every problem we could name on the world stage at the moment. He says it and, creates a disproportionate number of uh, amount of violence. And yes, I think that's what, factually true. Okay. This is a, a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down with you because, one, we've been doing this too long and it's just it's going to be as frustrating as every, every other topic. The point I want to make in closing is that the difficulty of this conversation is that the real topic of conversation for me here. I mean, we, you know, because there's so much we agree about, right? And yet Mm -hmm. you insist upon just what you trotted out here at the end about Ben Carson and Ted Cruz, right? I'm responding to the words you said. No, you're responding to obvious smears based on lifting these quotes out of context. Sam, I can't quote you a two-hour podcast, so it's it's out of context by definition, but I gave you the operative quote in the paragraph. No, but the operative quote is, but the only point I'm making is that the people who think that we created ISIS and that all these people, all the the, the problem of, of a global jihadist insurgency would go away if we just stopped mistreating people, right? If we stopped, if we stopped flying drones over... Yeah, people who think that... Are do- can't tell their their the, ass from their foot. Like, of course, there's that, a complicated. The, that is the Chomskyan criticism of yes, this problem, I mean, right? So, okay, you, you can why, find Chomsky why, why himself Chomsky focus making on that the US, point. Sam? Like, let's be charitable uh, to his views as well, even if we disagree with them. I, I, Chomsky, no, no, it, I'm not going to do it here. We've been at this for three and a half hours. Okay. I would I would be totally charitable to Chomsky's views in a conversation with Chomsky. I can assure you. But I I have heard Chomsky say, and I have seen him write. I mean, he wrote a book about 9/11 immediately after. 9-11, which was the hardest time to make these points about 9-11. Mm. And he basically blamed us for 9-11, right? Yeah. So – Well, I mean, there, look, there is some blame in terms of supporting no, no, Mujahideen in the 80s in terms of – There is no – no, that, that, do, do you think okay. the U.S. is completely morally uh, clean – has clean hands in terms of the rise of al-Qaeda in the Middle East? Listen – this is not a conversation. It's a very I want simple have. question. It's I mean, not. It's not a simple question because you you are guaranteed to misinterpret the answer. Yes, the phenomenon of blowback is real. Yes, we supported the mujahideen against the Soviets in Afghanistan. And withdrew from Afghanistan. Okay. And didn't yes. care much about all. It all of this is understandable through the lens of the Cold War and you know are not recognizing the problem of jihadism that that we were helping to foster yes we were mm-hmm. stupid but that does not exonerate the theology of salafi islam right? i don't think chomsky would exonerate them though 
And, you know, there it is again, right? Is it this idea that U.S. foreign policy somehow can just overwhelm people's uh, moral compass and and uh, and you know empathy and everything else that they that they have no autonomy of their own to exercise uh, moral behavior and moral lives that it just is trumped by U.S. foreign policy. It's just it's kind of silly in that context. But that's the point. Listen, I think that he- Chomsky's Chomps- analysis renders it completely inexplicable that you could have a middle class, well educated, psychologically normal person living in the West, the victim of nothing, who could then wake up tomorrow morning after watching an ISIS video thinking, I have to go to Syria to fight with these guys. Yeah, there's a lot of glory and utopian project involved there in addition to the text. Look, if I were to reduce ISIS, I would say it's a selective interpretation of the readings. Plausible, non-plausible, whatever adjective you want to you want to use. Selective interpretation plus gangsterism plus opportunity. Those are the three things that if you have those three in the right context, there are going to be people who want to join ISIS, whether it's people who have to bring Islam for dummies with them or people who have PhDs in Islamic theology. And again, the broader point I was just making was that sociopolitical circumstances are very important. We should not underemphasize or de-emphasize them. Um, and to understand this this battle and to continue supporting the leftist progressive opposition and eliminating or at least opposing v- vociferously the far Muslim right, these are the things that we need to be understanding in the various countries that they operate. Stated that way, nobody disagrees with you, right? And oh, cer- okay. cer- so. certainly Majid doesn't disagree with you. I mean, Majid, if you're going to ask Majid whether he support wants to support liberals and you're going to ask me whether I want to support liberals throughout the Muslim world – of course, we're we're on to that project, and those liberals include apostates and ex-Muslims and minorities within minorities, and of, I mean the, everything I or certainly Majid has ever said about the problem of Islamism and jihadism acknowledges that the first and primary victims of these theocratic trends has been Muslims. Right, liberal Muslims, and mm-hmm. and, the, and and so you know, yes, yes Muslim, jihadist terrorism is more a problem for Muslims than it is for Absolutely. non-Muslims They're at the, the moment. Victims of okay. it, yes, and I and I hear from Muslims and ex-Muslims all the time who support the kinds of efforts that Majid and I have made in this book. So in any case, this is, I mean, we're just at the end. If we're not at the end of our energy, we're, we're definitely at the yeah. end of our listeners' patience here. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, frankly, I don't, you know, I, I assume I'm going to release this. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to edit this, you know, not for content, but for sound quality, because, you know, as you may or may not know, every recording like this comes just replete with mouth noises and breaths mm-hmm. and, and just a total yeah. mess. So there's a lot of time in, in editing this. And then it's possible that someone else is going to come along afterward and intersplice even further relatively low-quality recording with uh, mouth noises and <laughs> as well as nonsense and commentary. And so if after going through this, I decide this is just the most deadly, boring conversation ever held and I can't inflict it on my listeners – I won't release it, uh, or I'll come back to you and say, "Listen, you know, I have three and a half hours, which I can't release as three and a half hours, but I want to cut it down to two hours, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm not going to cut it in a way that that is to your disadvantage, but I'm going to block some of the tangents we went down together and try to streamline the conversation. You know, I'll, I'll ask your permission to do that. Uh, Please do. 
but I won't know until I hear this. Yeah, I mean, look, that's fine. Personally, I pre- I appreciate this conversation. I think that you know it's good that we generate a lot of heat. I have nothing against you personally, and I'm glad that there are many people, some people who would agree with me, and some who would agree with you, and that at least we could have this ideological and ideational back and forth in terms of arguments. And so, all I ask is that we proceed with integrity, and that um, you know, if you're going to cut it, that you know we have at least a discussion, or you at least ask me if it's uh, if it's okay, so okay. that. So it's not edited, you know, to one party's advantage or, or whatever. But I mean, I'll leave that to you. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I would just say that. I mean, I, obviously, I appreciate your willingness to do this. I think. Sam, who else would read their read a criticism of someone else like word for word on you know an article like this? I mean, well, I, mean, I, 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 I appreciate I, your invitation. Others certainly would. I just think it's it's a um, it seemed like a promising experiment to run, and I I mean, I view it again. I I won't know for sure until I listen to it again. But I, I just think it's having participated in it, I think it is a, a cautionary tale. I mean, I, the, the lesson I draw from this is just how hard it is to converge on even the simplest and at least deniable truth claims, given just the, kind of the background assumptions that people are taking to these kinds of conversations. It's just, I mean, it, it is no wonder that the world is as it is when this conversation was as hard as it was. That's- yeah, well, you know what? Most people with opposing views don't want to have a conversation. They want to be stuck in their in their silos. And so at least, you know, I have a more optimistic view than you do on this in, in our attempt to have it, our disagreements fleshed out publicly. And we did that on a number of, on a number of important issues. Honestly, when, when this is some of the feedback I think you will get, there, this was less a debate about important issues than a a continuous effort to unravel the most charitable way to say it is misunderstanding. But it, I think in many cases, not good faith misunderstanding and uh, assumptions and kind of tendentious moves that are just really don't belong in a conversation like this. Yeah, and look, these are complicated things, Sam. We're talking about history. We're talking about politics, religion, and theology, and it's live lives. It, it's not that complicated. It's not. I mean, I, I can all, I, honestly, I maybe I will learn something from this conversation, but when you listen to it, I hope you will, will see the places where you could have had this conversation differently. I, I, it's certainly possible that I will see that for myself. I am not saying I'm that, open to that. But there, there's a lot here that isn't just a matter of these being complicated issues and we have differences of opinion. It's a matter of, of a style of conversation and an unwillingness to back off claims even after they become obviously implausible or, or shown to be unfounded uh, that just makes this kind of conversation impossible. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Sam, uh, I really appreciate it. I really have to run to the bathroom, right. um, and I look forward to following up. Well, there is the primal reason to end any conversation, however delightful. So in any case, Omer, best of luck to you, and um, thank you. we will meet down the road. Yeah, I hope we do. Okay. Take care, Sam. Take care. So there you have it. That's the uh, conclusion to the uh, best podcast ever episode, and that brings us to the end. Um, I didn't really find much in the last little segment there to really critique on the fly. I mean, if you go from part one all the way to part five because you're a brave little soldier, 
Uh, I thank you, and hopefully you found that my commentary added something, uh, hopefully fact-checked a little bit. Uh, and, I mean, clearly I'm a Sam Harris supporter. Uh, Omer had a few points here and there, but this whole thing is such a tangled Gordian knot of competing narratives, right? It's just, uh, U.S. did this, and Islamists are believing that, and doing this, and the Quran says that, and all this other stuff that confuses this whole thing. But one of the takeaways here is, is, like Omer said, it is complicated. It's not as simple as, oh, those dirty Muslims are dangerous, and uh, and, and it, there is some indictable U.S. foreign policy in some of this, and the blowback is, uh, you know not to be masochistic, but somewhat justified. And this is the world that we've created. It's a it's a result of... I mean, if you go back to episode two of the Kyle Style podcast, Cultural Fallout, uh, the, the, these are... This is the fallout from the Cold War. The nuclear weapons were never launched, but the there's still this shitstorm of stuff that is just continuing to break loose all the time. Uh, and the Mujahideen and Osama bin Laden is just one aspect of it. Uh, the intentional Islamization of ra- of uh, terrorism and everything else coming from the Middle East is partially a result of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, U.S. involvement in Syria, but Russian involvement in Syria, right? Like, this big political clash is happening. Muslims are stuck in the middle, and that's something that it, it needs to be said, is that the Syrians have been suffering this civil war since 2000 11 and their country has been completely destroyed isis rose from the ashes and they are now launching attacks into europe they are infiltrating the refugees they're 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 perpetuating their agenda and we have to find some way to see the reality of people fleeing a war zone specifically like the yazidis uh, and as well as Muslims who are just seeking a better life, and them being Muslim isn't exactly the problem. They can go to mosque and do all the stuff that, you know, it's the same thing, or it's roughly equivalent to, you know, Christians and Jews. But we have to be able to find the humanity in ourselves to uh, to care for those people, open our doors to those people, while at the same time being aware that there is that there is a, an Islamist ideology that runs very deep and very broadly, and it is anathema. It is directly opposed to many Western values, and even the values of so-called liberals who believe in who claim to believe in things like rights for women, rights for minorities, right for homosexuals, right for uh, the freedom of speech. Right. The, the Charlie Hebdo massacres were a direct, uh, direct affront to those liberal values, and we have to be have our eyes open and keep our eyes on this because I, I don't see the end near. It's if anything, uh, you know, mark my words, and hopefully I'm wrong, but. I have a very bad feeling that this summer, the summer of 2016, across Europe is going to be ugly. 
So thanks again for listening to, uh, well, at least this part, if not all five parts. And uh, we're going to get back on track with the normal, as regularly scheduled Kyle-style podcast. Uh, I've got some fun stuff coming up that's a little lighter, but also a little darker. A little more fun, but also maybe a little more serious. We'll we'll see which one I kind of roll with next. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Kyle-style podcast. Check out the blog, uh, check out the links, um, and try to include everything in here. Uh, follow me on Twitter at KStylePodcast. Go to the GoFundMe, throw me some money, and uh, we'll see you on the next installment. And on to new, bigger, and better things, right? Thanks for listening.